Right now, many churches are planning their budgets for the next fiscal year. You can promote your confessional Lutheran church and support the worldwide outreach of issues, etc. by becoming a congregational sponsor. When your church pledges $1,000, we'll publicize your congregation on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Learn more on the support donate page at issuesetc.org. Don't miss your congregation's budget deadline. Become an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. I had a professor once who said, I decided that I always wanted to be original. And then I discovered that to be original in Christian theology means to become heretical. If God does not tell us, then we don't need to know. We shouldn't know. And so we, we go with what God has given. What are the Ten Commandments? What are my neighbor's needs? When you realize that in the sight of God, your sins are gone and you are set free from them, that changes you from the inside out and makes you want to do the very will of God. The gospel is enough natural motivation to love the Jewish people and to look at them as that older brother who remain outside the party like in the prodigal son and to identify with the father who staying outside and pleading with them to come in. Say babies? Babies! Love? Love! Listening? Ning. Two. Two. Issues. Issues. Etc. Shredder. With. With. Their. Dear. Mommies. Mommies. Question from a young person. Before a volleyball game, our team all holds hands and a bossy girl leads the prayer, which is not a well-put-together prayer. During the prayer, the other girls are being inappropriate, cussing, etc. What should I do? Should I not be involved? Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. on this Friday afternoon, November the 10th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. It'll be part 15 of our series, Kids Have Questions. Pastor Jonathan Connor will be our guest. Then in hour two, we'll replay an interview on Christian Crusaders with Raymond Ibrahim, author of the book, Defenders of the West, the Christian Heroes Who Stood Against Islam. Pastor Jonathan Connor is pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Manning, Iowa. Jonathan, welcome back. Thanks, Todd. I'm happy to be here. Here's the first question. So how are we supposed to react when people say that there are more than two genders? I think that's such a relevant question. I think it's one that maybe will catch parents and grandparents off guard. It's certainly not a question I would have ever conceptualized of when I was a child, but I want parents and grandparents who are listening, if you have kids or grandkids in school, they're going to come across this. They're, they're going to encounter it. They're going to have a classmate who's claiming this or a friend who's claiming this. They're going to see it on their phone, on online somewhere. So this is a very real question. So I think it's one that if parents and grandparents, if we haven't given thought to, it's time to give some thought to this. What are you going to say when your child asks you this question, right? And, and the first thing, before I even get to my answer to the child, the first thing is that you're not going to freak out. You're going to stay calm and you're going to engage the child and you're going to give them a reasoned answer. But if you don't stay calm and if you freak out over a question like this, all that tells them is don't come to dad or mom, don't come to grandma or grandpa because they just freak out. And so you make sure we stay calm and give a reasoned answer. So here's what I say to the child and then we're going to expand upon it just a little bit. So I say, great question. Here's something to understand. 
the person who claims that there are more than two genders has made a truth claim. You are therefore warranted to ask them to defend their truth claim. So ask them how many gen genders there are. Ask them how they know there are that many genders. Ask them to define these genders. Ask them how many of these genders a person can be at one time. Chances are they haven't thought too deeply about it. And chances are they are going to say something like, well, we really don't know how many genders there are. Gender is really up to how a person feels on the inside. This will give you the opportunity to ask, so does how we feel on the inside determine reality? And that will give you the opportunity to ask questions like, well, if I feel like today is Saturday, does that make it Saturday? And if I feel like I'm 21, can I buy alcohol? And if I feel like I'm a minority, can I claim minority status on government documents? And if I feel like I'm a cat, can I be one? If they are consistent with their truth claim, they will say yes. But this is, of course, absurd. If they say no, it will reveal the hypocrisy of their claim. If feelings don't determine reality in these areas, they don't determine reality when it comes to gender. Gender must be anchored to biology. We are male or female all the way down to our genes. In fact, nearly every gene in our bodies is marked with an XX or XY chromosome. There are not many genders. There are only two, and they are linked to biological realities. Now, we can speak of gender expression. There are endless ways to live as a male or a female, but there are not endless number of genders between male and female. This is an important point to appreciate. So I stop there, and I, I want you know listeners to kind of pick up on, this is the Greg Kokel's famous sort of tactics approach, which is really insightful. But he, he's observing that, look, the person who's saying there are more than two genders, they made the truth claim, all right? So for, for parents and grandparents and for any kids who are listening, just, just zero in on that, okay? So we don't first have to be, get defensive or feel like we need to give this sort of lengthy dissertation on our beliefs, not yet, we may be called to do that, but a truth claim is being made. So let's engage that truth claim. Now, I do wanna point out a deep irony that often happens in these discussions because in this, what's happening, it, for example, in the rejection of the binary, what they seem to have done is they have these, what I consider pretty hardened stereotypes about what it means to be a man or a woman. So they calcify these stereotypes and then they say, well, you don't fit into the stereotype. Maybe you're not a boy or a girl. Maybe you're the opposite or maybe you're somewhere in between. There's irony in this though because they're using the binary to reject it. So they need those stereotypes to be calcified to deny the binary. And here's what I think we need to ask people is, okay, what if our bodies aren't wrong? What if our stereotypes are wrong? So I think that's an important question really to challenge people on, because I think we're going to discover that that's in, in fact the problem, is we've calcified these stereotypes for male and female, and if people don't fit into these calcified stereotypes, then we claim that somehow they either aren't male or female, or they're somewhere on this spectrum. The other thing 
to point out in this is what's happening is this grounding of reality in feelings. So it's really important to pick up on this. So, and, and the question we need to be asking, whether we ask the person who's making this truth claim or whether we're simply asking this of our kids as to engage them in conversation or, or anyone, ask this question. Does how we feel about reality determine reality? Because if it does, things are going to get chaotic really fast. And I think deep down, we actually all know better. For example, we all know a 16-year-old, he cannot identify as a 21-year-old and buy alcohol. Nobody's going to let him do it. We also know that a 30-year-old can't identify as a 65-year-old and get the senior citizen discount. Nobody's going to let him do it. We know that a 60-year-old man cannot identify as a seven-year-old boy and join your first graders, whatever, a kindergarten, first graders soccer team. And we know that a Chinese woman can't be an Italian woman. And we also know that a man cannot be a woman and a woman cannot be a man because reality really is a certain way. But I think so just to, to wrap up the question, what I think we need to make sure people are hearing because I want to make sure we're not simply saying you're wrong. No, no, no. That sort of answer. What we need to make sure people are hearing is this. Your body is good. So God has given you a pattern in your body with a purpose. And if your thoughts don't align with your body, then we need to deal with the problem. And the problem is not your body. The problem is your thoughts. And I think anybody who's taking scripture seriously needs to accept the fact that it is possible, in fact, incredibly likely, that we are going to have thoughts that are out of line with reality, out of line with what God has called good. So the call of the Christian faith then is to speak truth into the false beliefs. And I happen to think that truth is something that the church has a really firm grasp on. So if we take the truth that scripture asserts and we want to speak it into people's lives, but the foundational truth we need to make sure we're speaking into our people's lives across the board, to children, to adults, across the board, the body is good. And uh, this really comes out of Rosaria Butterfield's observation about the pattern with a purpose. I think that's a great insight. It's a great way of putting it, that the body establishes a pattern with a purpose. I think if we start speaking positively about what Scripture teaches, it allows us to then be ready to offer a response to someone who asks questions like the child answered or asked, what are we supposed to say when someone says they're more than two genders? So I think having that foundation will really uh, put us in a good place to answer the question. Pastor Jonathan Connors, our guest. He's pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Manning, Iowa. It's part 15 of our series, Kids Have Questions, on this Friday, November the 10th. Up next is listening to Bad Music, A Sin. How can Christians live out their faith in the church, the family, and the government? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November, Faith That Shines in the Culture. It's written by regular guest Dr. Alfonso Espinosa. 
Learn more about faith that shines in the culture at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Faith that shines in the culture, the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November. Are you looking for an investment that aligns with your Lutheran values? Look no further than Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Hi, my name is Rahima Kavuga, Director of Synod Relations at LCEF, and we're proud to be an entity of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, which means our focus is clear. When you invest with LCEF, you're helping LCMS supported ministries and dedicated church workers. Learn more at lcef.org. Contending for truth in an age of anti-truth. You're listening to Issues Etc. Colorado Springs, gateway to the beauty of the Front Range and Pikes Peak, is the home of Shepherd of the Springs Lutheran Church. At Shepherd of the Springs, you will find the historic liturgy celebrated, our Lord's Word faithfully preached, and His holy body and blood distributed every Sunday at divine service. Information and service times can be found at sslc cos.org Shepherd of the Springs Lutheran Church a proud sponsor of issues etc Memoria Press is a worldwide leader in the publishing of classical Christian education we have everything you need for students in kindergarten through 12th grade and our materials can be used in any classroom setting to suit your needs if you're interested in learning more visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 to save $5 at checkout Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's our series, Kids Have Questions. Pastor Jonathan Connor is our guest, pastor of Zion Luther Church in Manning, Iowa. The next question, Pastor Connor, is short and simple. Is listening to bad music a sin? I think this is an outstanding question. I'm just so glad the child asked it. This comes up in class fairly often when favorite pop songs and so forth kids are, are talking about. And they're, they're probably aware on a certain level that some of the things in those songs don't jive with what Scripture teaches. But the fact of the matter is they like those songs. And so this creates this tension I think they feel it. And honestly, adults, I think this is an area that we need to do a little bit more thinking on because I suspect we aren't too different. I think we find ourselves maybe focusing more on how the music makes us feel than on the truth claims or the worldview being communicated. So I'll pick up on that. But let me first answer the child. I say great and thoughtful question. Consider a couple verses from Scripture. So the first one's from Colossians 3. Paul writes, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And another passage from Philippians 4, where Paul writes this, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, 
whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. If we are called to rid our lives of sinful actions, desires, and words, then can it be right to fill our minds with songs that glamorize those sinful actions, desires, and words? Over and over and over again, the Bible calls us to hear God's word, to internalize it, to learn it, to think it. That doesn't mean we can only listen to, quote unquote, Christian songs. But it does mean that we should be very choosy about the music we choose to listen to. What message is it delivering? Here's a great test. Print out the lyrics of the songs you're thinking about and then go and read them to your parents. If they can't be read out loud at the supper table, then we shouldn't open our minds to them by listening to them. You see, music is subtle. Music has the ability to bypass the discernment center of the mind. We think it's only a matter of like or dislike, but music is a vehicle with a passenger. That passenger is a worldview. We need to be very careful about which passenger is riding in the music vehicle. If he's a liar, we shouldn't welcome him in, no matter how nice the car is or how much we like the music. Okay, so that's where my answer to the child ends. And I think for parents and grandparents, if you have children asking you this question, or if you yourself are asking this question, the image, which I'm going to pick up on here in just a minute, but the image of music as a vehicle with a passenger, I think that could be a useful teaching tool for yourself, but also for your kids. So I want to pick up on that last point I talked about, about basically we just like the car so much, we don't care who's in it. But I hear people do this all the time, right? They like the beat, they like the melody, they like the catchy tune, and I totally get that. So I'll just speak just personally about me right now, make it, make it a little easier for people. Because there are songs that I hear and I think, that's a great song. I love the way it makes me feel. And that, that's a critical point. I like the way it makes me feel. And every time that happens to me, then I have this thought that says, oh yeah, feelings. Feelings are important. I mean, they are good gifts from God, but here's the thing about feelings we all have to be aware of. I know I need to be aware of it, is that feelings can be manipulated. So then what I do is I'll go listen to the words or I'll check out the actual lyrics, right? And when I do that, that's when I realize, oh, I can't listen to that song. I can't welcome those words into my mind. I mean, I can't let them move into my imagination. I mean, if those words are even started to move in, if I even started to think about living those words, it would just it would destroy my marriage, first of all. It would destroy my family. It would destroy my congregation. And the ripple effect would continue. I mean, the tune and the beat, they might be really energizing. But the words are death. So there's this off-attributed quote to the 18th century Scottish writer and politician Andrew Fletcher. I don't know if he said it or not. It doesn't matter for our purposes. He said, let me make the songs of a nation. I don't care who makes its laws. So again, whether he said it or not, it's not the point. The point is that music is powerful. I've done entire hour-long presentations, uh, different apologetics conferences on the power of music and what it has the potential to do. But for now, I think if we just observe that music, okay, the key point again, that music is a vehicle 
with a passenger. And that passenger is a worldview. And this is especially true with lyrical music or with music that has a strong connection to certain lyrics. Because sometimes you have songs that are played where the lyrics have been removed, but everybody knows what song it is. And so it's calling to mind the lyrics. But our problem is, I don't think we're accustomed to discerning a worldview that is sung. Okay, I think that's an important point. I want to want to reiterate it. We're not accustomed to worldviews being sung, but I think we need to. We need to stop letting our guard down here. So music is a vehicle with a passenger. We can't just say, well, I like that car and give no heed to the passenger. So you need to ask, do I know that passenger's name? What if his name what if it's sexual immorality? Or what if his name is revenge? Or what if his name is lust? Or what if his name is disrespect? Or what if his name is drunkenness? What if his name is crude language? So before you let that car park in your garage, you better ask who his passenger is because he's coming in your house. And the question you need to ask is, do I want him in there? Do I want him in my house? Because here's the thing, it's a whole lot easier to keep him out of your house than it is to get him out once he's already in. Now, I made this point to the child, I need to make it again. I am not saying that we can only listen to quote-unquote Christian music, because I think that's just impossible to define, first of all. What does that even mean, right? Does it have to always mention the name of Jesus? What if it just celebrates the sunrise, or fresh coffee, or just the wildflowers? Or what if it laments brokenness in the world? So I'm not saying it has to be Christian. I'm saying that we need to discern what the music, and especially lyrical music, is saying. And this is my challenge to parents. So if you're brave enough, parents, ask your kids what their favorite songs are. Or you could just go to uh, go Google Billboard's Top 10. And then here's what you do. Print out the lyrics and read them out loud. Read them out loud at the supper table. Here's the thing. I bet you stop before you're done. I actually started to do this a couple of weeks ago in anticipation of our conversation today. I thought, well, I'll just look up some of the most popular songs right now and I'll read a couple of the stanzas. And I decided against it. They were too graphic. They were too suggestive. And what I want people to know is our kids are singing these words out loud over and over and over. They're singing them out loud. So we go back to that child's question is listening to this kind of music sin. Well, what did I mention that Paul talked about in Philippians? He basically tells us to think about the good, the right, the true, and the beautiful. Is our music helping us do this? Or is it telling us lies? Is it celebrating that opposes something that God has called good? So here's what I think where we need to really start practicing discernment. If a song is celebrating something that opposes what God has called good. So if it's evoking images or ideas or behaviors that oppose what God has called good, can we celebrate the song by listening to it? If a song celebrates sin, can we open a room for it in our mind? So if its passenger is named sin, There's no way we can let that music music vehicle, no matter how attractive the car is, so to speak, 
We cannot let them park in our garage. So it's not only sin, it's foolish. If your parents tell you to do something that will harm you or others, are you still supposed to listen to them? I just think that's that's such a, a real question. I'm going to be very sensitive, I, both in the answer to the child and in a minute when I expand upon it, because um, I think this is a very real question, a very raw question for, unfortunately, for more kids than we probably realize. So let me first offer the answer I, I made to the child, uh, and then we'll expand upon it. I say, great question. Let's think through it. To whom do we owe our first allegiance? God. So if anyone tries to get us to do something that opposes what God calls good, we should maintain our first allegiance to God. Now, having said that, we need to realize that this could bring unpleasant consequences in our life. So parents may react negatively and do something hurtful to us. And this may put us in a very difficult position. But here's the general idea. Allegiance to Jesus first. And if that allegiance requires us to suffer, we will suffer gladly for the name of Jesus. We see this in the Bible. Peter and his fellow apostles were arrested for preaching the gospel of Jesus. The authorities told them to stop, but Peter and his friends refused. And Peter said, we must obey God rather than men. And then the authorities beat Peter and his friends. And Luke, the author of Acts, tells us, they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. So their first allegiance was to God, and they were willing to suffer to honor him. Now, let's be clear. You need to be very sure about your decision to disobey a parent before you do it. You need to be sure what they're telling you to do is wrong. This is not something where you can simply decide you don't like what your parent is saying. You are to honor your parents, but your honor to God comes first. And as I mentioned in class, God will hold parents accountable for how they parented, so we can trust him to sort everything out. Okay, stop there with the child, but I want to acknowledge again how difficult this situation is and even how dangerous it could be potentially for a child. So I want to say this kindly, but directly. All right. There are some really bad parents out there. And I'm not, I'm not just saying there are some parents doing a lousy job. I'm saying there are some bad parents, parents who abuse their children in unimaginable ways and disobeying them could bring great suffering on a child. So a child's ability to disobey a parent may be just exceedingly limited. I don't want to set up a principle where we're burdening a child with this great guilt because they did what a parent said and what the parent said to do was sinful because sometimes the child really doesn't have much of a meaningful choice. But on the flip side, we don't want to set up a principle where children think they can dis disobey their parents if they just don't like what their parents said. Luther's actually pretty clear on this in his explanation to the fourth commandment in the large catechism. And I love what he writes here, and I'm, I'm going to quote it. He says, learn therefore first what is the honor toward parents required by this commandment, to wit, that they be held in distinction and esteem above all things as the most precious treasure on earth. Furthermore, that also in our words, we observe modesty toward them. Do not accost them roughly, haughtily, and defiantly, but yield to them and be silent 
even though they go too far. It's very sober about basically making sure the child isn't simply looking for an excuse as a way not to do what they don't want to do. But like I said, then this is important. Children sometimes, they may find themselves in a situation where they choose to obey God rather than their parents. And that may present very unpleasant consequences for them. So we need to be very sensitive to that. Uh, but let me give you an example of just kind of how this might look. Uh, this is actually from a, a read aloud. Uh, so in our household, we do a lot of read alouds with our kids. And right now we're reading this fictional story about a, a family in Flint, Michigan in the mid 1900s. Okay. So the scene I think is one that if we're all honest as parents, we may have found ourselves in a similar scene in our life with our children that we certainly are not, not something we wish others to know about because we're ashamed of it. But we can see how we can get into a situation where we put a child in a situation where they have to choose, obey God or obey my parents. So here's the basic scene. You've got a mom, she's at her wit's end over a son. He keeps playing with matches in the house. So she's told him more times that she can count not to play with matches in the house. Well, guess what? She catches him playing with matches again, and this time she snaps. She drags him by the scruff of his neck to the couch, and she sits on him. And she starts telling the two younger kids, go get the matches. Because what she wants, she wants to singe the ends of his fingers so he can feel what fire can do. Now, parents, before you start judging this fictional mom, I think we have all found ourselves in a situation where it's like, yeah, I was too close to that scenario. But in the story, here's what happens. The younger two children, they won't do what mom says. They won't go get the matches. I mean, they know their brother's wrong, right? But they also know that burning his fingers is wrong. Now, I mean, the story doesn't make any great theological point out of this. But I think this is one of those moments that's all too real. And these kids made the choice to disobey their mother because they believe she was wrong, or because we might say that God had written right and wrong on their hearts. So in that way, they were honoring God's law over the law of mom. But my point for now is that there may be times when children have legitimate reasons to disobey a parent, but we need to be very clear on two things. One, there may be consequences that they have to face, even unjust and unfair consequences that they have to face for their principled disobedience or I should probably put it this way, their primary obedience to God. But number two, and I think this is important, we have to keep this out there, sometimes they don't really have a choice. So we, we need to extend grace to kids is what I'm aiming after. And, and then I want to add one more point just for adults, because I think it's too easy maybe to keep our focus on kids. We need to talk about ourselves just for a minute, adults. We need to make sure we are really dialed in on this principle, because in so many ways, the culture is actually asking us to do things that are harmful for our children, from the sexual ideology it's pushing to the destructive power, for instance, of social media and addictive games, gaming. And the culture pressures us to go along. And all too often, parents, we go along with it because either we don't want to face the consequences for refusing, whether that be, for example, being excluded from whatever in-group, adult in-group that we have, or we fear the pushback from our kids. So we go along when we should be honoring God and not going along with this pressure. So the same principle applies for us parents. Obey God rather than men, whether that's your friends or your kids, and then get ready 
to face opposition. But I'll end with this. Look how the disciples responded, okay? They considered it an honor to suffer for the name of Christ. And I think if we can zero in more on the privilege of bearing Christ's name and the honor of suffering for it, I think we'll find the strength we need to obey God rather than men. We're talking with Pastor Jonathan Connor. It's our series, Kids Have Questions. He is pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Manning, Iowa. So if I were to ask God for a victory in sports and I lose, is it not my time? This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we continue our study of the Book of Beginnings, Genesis, with Noah and family enter the ark, the great flood commences, the great flood prevails, God remembers, and the dove and olive branch. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Two millennia ago, Pilate uttered one of the most profound questions that we still ask in the modern era. What is truth? Many today would say that truth, like beauty, is in the eye of the beholder, or perhaps in the heart. But that's not what truth is for the Christian people of God. Truth is found in Christ alone. To learn more about the Lutheran view of truth, pick up the November issue of The Lutheran Witness. Visit cph.org witness or our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial-A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial-A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Spiritual and religious. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Bethel Lutheran, Ballinger, Texas. Epiphany Lutheran, Door, Michigan. Grace Lutheran, San Mateo, California. Emmanuel Lutheran, Orange, California. Mount Calvary Lutheran, Eola, Texas. Peace Lutheran, Rapid City, South Dakota. Resurrection Lutheran, Fredericksburg, Texas. St. John Lutheran, Sycamore, Illinois, St. Paul Lutheran, Valley City, Ohio, and Trinity Lutheran, Walton, Nebraska. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast at our website, 
and in the Issues Etc. Journal. For a few, the conspiracy theory becomes more than a theory and even more than an all-encompassing worldview. For these few, the theory becomes their religion. Those who question or reject their theory are not merely blind or stupid, they are evil. A questioning of their theory become religion is heresy, a rejection of their theory is religious apostasy. At the very root of every conspiracy theory is a form of idolatry, an attempt to find understanding, revelation, and ultimately comfort in something other than the true God. That's from my latest article in the Issues Etc. Journal. Yes, Elvis is dead, but God is in his heaven. A pastoral response to conspiracy theories, along with the Wittenberg Trail, written by Julie Stiegelmeyer. You can read both absolutely free. Just go to our website, issuesetc.org. Click the red subscription button on the right-hand side and enter your email address. We'll send you the latest Issues Etc. Journal online and free. It's part 15 of our series, Kids Have Questions. Pastor Jonathan Connor is our guest. Here's a question. If I ask God for a victory in sports and I lose, is it not my time? Man, if you've got kids, they've prayed for victories. I mean, this is such a, a common thing for kids to pray for. And the reality is one team's going to win and one team's going to lose. And I'm pretty confident you probably have kids on both sides praying for a victory. So I think this is a very real question. And parents and grandparents, as we get asked this question, or maybe we've prayed with our kids for that victory and we don't get it, what kind of answer are we going to have for our kids after they've lost that game? Or maybe even in advance when they ask to pray for it. So this is a very practical question. I'm glad this child asked the question and I guess it's a chance to talk about it. So I say, great question. Let me ask you a few questions first. What is a victory? Is a victory limited to scoring more points? Or is the physical ability to play a sport a victory from God? Is the mental capacity to be able to understand a sport a victory from God? Is a stable home, a loving family, a safe community, and a field on which to play the sport a victory? You are free to ask God, to help your team score more points. But God is not obligated to grant that prayer. He may simply say, no, God gets to decide. But I think the important thing is to recognize the great and many victories God grants you before you ever step on the field. So that's where my answer ends to the child. What I'm aiming after here for the child and for the adult is to broaden our conceptualization of what that word victory means. So I think that's important. And it gets us after kind of the how God answers prayer question. We pray for a victory and the other team scores more points. And we say, well, then God answered no. Is that right? Well, maybe. But again, the question I really want to back up and ask is, what victories from God are we overlooking? So what ways has he answered our prayers for victory that we've overlooked? So maybe we didn't get the victory of scoring more points. But maybe there are some other foundational victories that God has granted that we need to, to kind of zero in on that will, will give us a deeper appreciation for God's working. So, I mean, in some ways, I think this might get after uh, some of the things Luther talks about in uh, his broad explanation in the fourth petition to the Lord's Prayer on give us this day our daily bread. 
So, I mean, Luther sees God's provision stretching far and wide to cover everything we need to support this body and life, our body and soul. So we pray for victory, and God answers it in so many ways by providing so abundantly for us. But then he, does, he doesn't give our team more points, and then we're like quick to conclude that, well, God hasn't heard, he hasn't answered, there's no point in praying to him. Well, I guess I would like to encourage all of us, and parents, when you're talking to your kids about this, I think this is a good habit just to kind of step back, all right? Appreciate the great victories that God grants every day. I mean, for example, your body works. I mean, I've mentioned this before, but I highly recommend the book, Your Designed Body by Steve Lothman and Howard Glicksman. This is just a fascinating book. So it describes the specified interdependent systems in your body that all have to work together at every moment of the day to keep you alive. So what I want to do, I just want to give us an appreciation for one little piece of that. So when we start saying, God, give me a victory, that maybe getting more points, well, it doesn't become unimportant, but maybe it gets put into a larger series of victories that God has already granted in advance of that. And maybe if we don't receive that particular piece of what we wanted, we're able to appreciate what God has already given us. I think that would give us a deeper appreciation for God's involvement in our life. So for example, every one of your 30 trillion cells, I mean, that's hard to even conceptualize that number, but 30 trillion cells in your body, they need oxygen to survive. And here's the thing, the body can't store oxygen like it can like sugar and water. So the question the body has to answer, or God is going to answer for us, is how are you going to get oxygen to your cells? Well, you're going to have to inhale oxygen, but you have to know that you need oxygen. So that means you need these sensors in your body to tell you that you need oxygen. And not just that, but you need this, like, like a hard drive, basically, to interpret those sensors, and that will tell you, you need to get some oxygen. Well, okay, once you've got the sensors and you've got the hard drive, then you have to have these output actuators to actually make it happen. But as soon as you get that far, you have another problem that shows up immediately, because what you discover is oxygen doesn't dissolve very well in blood. So you're going to need something that's going to help you with that. Well, the body's answer to that is iron, which it provides to this complicated protein called hemoglobin. I don't pretend to understand it. I just know it's a complicated protein called hemoglobin. But you need it. You need this hemoglobin in just the right amount. So you have to make the right amount. Well, that happens in the bone marrow. So you need to have that whole system in place. And you need to know how much hemoglobin that you need so you don't sludge up the lines, right? So your body has this specialized kidney cells, and I probably am not pronouncing it right. I think it's called erythropoietin. And, and these, these cells, they detect the oxygen levels in the blood, and then they, and attach, they attach these stem cells in the bone marrow to form the hemoglobin to capture the oxygen to deliver to the cells so you can live. But remember what I said, we need to get iron to bind to the oxygen. Okay, where are you going to get the iron? We haven't gotten the iron yet. Well, to get the iron, you need your GI system. But you need to make sure the iron levels are just right, and the liver does that by sending out this hormone called hepcidin to regulate the iron levels. But you have to make sure you have the right cells to get the iron, and it just turns out the bone marrow makes the cells with the right receptors to attach to the iron. 
Okay, so now you need to get that oxygen to the cells and you need your cardiovascular system to do this with the heart and all the blood vessels and so on. But then as soon as you start to get active, you need to get more oxygen and your autonomic nervous system makes sure the oxygenated blood goes where it needs to go in your body. And we haven't even started, like for example, to talk about getting the CO2 out of your body, which is this waste product that the body produces through respiration. And all of this happens, here's my point, all this happens without you ever knowing it or thinking about it. So here we are, we're praying for a victory. And all we're thinking about is points. And maybe God grants that victory. And, you know, I've got six kids and certainly we've had enough sporting events and the desire is that we have more points or more, you know, runners cross the finish line first. But I've been doing this long enough to know that there are other families that are praying for the same thing for their kids and they're on the other team. And so sometimes those kids pass the finish line ahead of my kids. And I've gotten to a point where I'm not begrudging those kids. I'm celebrating that God has given them the ability to run. And on that day, they ran faster than my kids, but it's still a gift of God. So I, I think maybe when we start wrestling with some of these questions, like why didn't God give my team more points? God may. And if he does, wonderful, celebrate that. But I think if we back up and we have a few more conversations about the meaningful victories that God grants thousands of times, I mean, thousands of times a day, if we appreciate those victories, I think it puts us in a better position to maybe not be so upset when the victory of more points doesn't happen. We're talking with Pastor Jonathan Connor, pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Manning, Iowa. It's our series, Kids Have Questions, Part 15. We'll talk about inappropriate behavior during a pre-volleyball game prayer next. Right now, many churches are planning their budgets for the next fiscal year. You can promote your confessional Lutheran church and support the worldwide outreach of issues, etc. by becoming a congregational sponsor. When your church pledges $1,000, we'll publicize your congregation on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Learn more on the Support Donate page at issuesetc.org. Don't miss your congregation's budget deadline. Become an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Psalm 144.1 Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Those serving in the armed forces want LCMS chaplains. We need courageous pastors to bring the gospel and sacraments to those protecting our nation, along with wise counsel and the peace found only in Christ Jesus. If you are between the age of 26 and 43 and have a heart for ministry in the armed forces, call 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Christological, creedal, confessional. You're listening to Issues Etc. In this wonderful month of thankfulness, we thought it would be a great time to say a huge thank you to Pastor Todd Wilkin, Jeff and their team. For almost 10 years, they have opened their broadcasts to Ad Crucem and allowed us to share our products with their listeners. Thank you to Issues Etc. And thank you, dear listeners, for all your support and patronage over these years. God bless you from Ad Crucem, 
That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Do you long for a church where the gospel of the sinner's free justification is front and center, and yet where a robust sacramental life is confessed and lived? Do you long for a church that rejoices in the sacred scriptures as the sole basis for the church's teaching and proclamation, yet values and listens to the witness of the ancient fathers and councils? Welcome to the Lutheran Church. We are what you've been looking for. Find a Christ-centered, cross-focused church near you on the Find the Church page at issuesetc.org. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's our series, Kids Have Questions. You're listening to Issues Etc. Pastor Jonathan Connor is our guest. Pastor Connor, here is a question related to sports. Before a volleyball game, our team all holds hands and a bossy girl leads the prayer, which is not a well-put-together prayer. During the prayer, the other girls are being inappropriate, cussing, etc. What should I do? Should I not be involved? Yeah. Oh, wow. Parents, if you're hearing this, this is about as real as it gets, all right? So I'm going to answer the question to the child and expand just briefly upon it. What a thoughtful question. First, I'm sorry this is happening and that you find yourself in this difficult position. But don't be surprised by it. And don't let it rattle you. Remember whose you are, a baptized child of God, and that God's love in Christ remains with you in every circumstance. And now, you have a few options. One, you can stand quietly in the circle while the teammate prays and simply listen. If you believe the prayer is not appropriate, do not offer your amen. So, don't say amen. When we say amen, we are saying, yes, let this be so. If you don't think the prayer is appropriate, simply remain silent. So you can be present with your teammates, but not go along with the prayer with which you don't agree. Two, you can indicate to your team that you find it more helpful to pray quietly on the side by yourself. This will, in all likelihood, put you in a very awkward position. So you will need to think about this first. If you feel like you can't be a part of the group prayer, then you may need to prepare yourself for such a scenario. So approach the scenario understanding what it might mean. Three, if you're close enough to the girl praying, you might ask if you could speak to her privately sometime and ask if she might consider praying for what you believe needs to be prayed for. But as before, this could put you in a tough spot and you need to be prepared for it beforehand. Whatever you choose, I would have you speak with your parents in advance, ask their advice, get their support. Regarding the other girls, you might simply have to endure them, but you most certainly don't have to go along with them. You honor Christ and let his light shine through you. When you do, be ready for some to react negatively. Don't be afraid of this. Jesus considers you blessed for bearing his name in adversarial situations. So that's where my answer ends. But I want to say here what should be obvious. This is just not something we all like to admit. A prayer huddle isn't always what it seems. In many cases, it's largely symbolic. So as with many things in life, sometimes it looks good from a distance, but when you get up close, it's not as good and wholesome as you thought. So this is a call for discernment. Okay, parents listening, these are precisely the sort of things you need to be talking about with your kids. So the Christian symbol is there, but the substance is largely lacking. So the counsel you give to your kids here, it's critical. What should they do? Is that prayer huddle Christianity? Is Christianity only about symbols, about signals, about surfaces, or is there substance to it? See, this child rightly spotted the missing substance. 
So parents, you have to ask yourself, what do I say? So here's the question you should be asking yourself. Why was the substance missing? How does that happen? And who's going to make sure that your child has that substance? Well, it's pretty clear they're not going to get it from the volleyball team. And I mean no disrespect toward volleyball teams. But who's going to make sure they get it? Well, parents, that's your job. And without going into great detail here, you get that substance in a church that preaches and delivers substance, or we could say a church that delivers word and sacraments. So you get that substance by being meaningfully, and the key here is meaningfully, involved in the church and by the habits you establish in the home. So I'll make this easy. Church life and home habits, they have to go together. But let me just speak very directly here and I'll wrap up. Parents, you have a very narrow window to do this because your kids will not be in your house forever. So you get one shot at this. If your life is too busy to make church life and home habits that inculcate the faith as a meaningful part of your life, then change something because the stakes are too high. The volleyball prayer huddle probably isn't what it seems. So you can't leave the inculcating of the faith to a largely symbolic prayer huddle. So church life and home habits, but back to the options is to review them. She could withhold her amen. She could pray quietly by herself or she could visit with a girl about it. And maybe there are more options, right? I mean, I certainly welcome feedback from listeners, but this is a real scenario that many kids are facing. So parents, grandparents, let's have an answer ready for our kids. Pastor Jonathan Connor is pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Manning, Iowa. Jonathan, thank you very much. Thanks, Todd. Count Dracula, El Cid, Richard Lionheart. Next hour on Shoes Etc., we'll discuss Christian Crusaders with Raymond Ibrahim, author of the book Defenders of the West, The Christian Heroes Who Stood Against Islam. I'm Todd Wilkin. Stay with us. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. How can conspiracy theories become a form of idolatry? I've written a column for the latest issues, etc., a journal titled, Yes, Elvis is Dead, But God is in His Heaven, a pastoral response to conspiracy theories. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Julie Stegemeyer writes about her path from Methodism to Lutheranism. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. This is Pastor Tyler Arnold of Village Lutheran Church in Ladue, Missouri. The Saints at Village are proud to be an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. If you are in the St. Louis area, join us for the Divine Service at 815 or 1045 a.m., Bible study and Sunday school at 930 a.m., as we receive Christ's promise of salvation and forgiveness through word and sacrament. 
You can find us at villagelutheranchurch.org. Village Lutheran in St. Louis welcomes you. Lutheran Talk. The cause of our salvation doesn't lie within us, but instead it lies outside of us, namely in the mercy of our God who sends his Son to live and die and rise again for us. Lutheran Music. Listen anytime, anywhere with the Lutheran Public Radio mobile app. Download for iPhone, Android, and Kindle at issuesetc.org. Confessional Lutherans are invited to rent a four-bedroom, three-bathroom Table Rock lakefront home in the Ozarks. Table Rock Lake is a premier lake in the heart of the Ozarks for boating, water sports, and fishing. This log cabin-style rental sleeps 12 and is 30 minutes from Branson and 20 minutes from Silver Dollar City. Learn more by calling Swanson Estates, 713-855-2681. Be sure to mention Issues Etc., 713-855-2681. Faithful Christians are facing enormous challenges and uncertainties. Where are we to find our strength? Join us at St. John Lutheran in Sycamore, Illinois, as Pastor Adam Kuntz presents on the theme, Strong Under Pressure, the Church's Life in Paul's First Letter to Timothy. This conference is on Saturday, November 18th. Go to ChristianFaithAndLife.com for more information and to register. That's ChristianFaithAndLife.com.